ಪಾರ್ಥಯ ಪ್ರತಿಬೋಧಿ ಭಗವತ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಸ್ವಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಸೇನ ಗ್ರಥಿತುರಾಣಮುನಿ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಅದ್ವೈತಮೃತವರ್ಷಿಣೀ ಭಗವತಿ ಅಷ್ಟಾಧ್ಯಾಮನುಸಂದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತೆಷಿಣೀ ಯಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರುಣೇಂದ್ರರುದ್ರಮರು ಸ್ತುನ್ವಂತಿ ದಿವ್ಯೈಸ್ತವೈ ವೇದೈಸ್ಸಾಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋಪನಿಷದೈ ಗಾಯಂತಿಯಂಸಾಮಗಾಹ್ಯಾನವಸ್ಥಿತೈನ ಮನಸ ಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಯೋಗಿನ ಯಂತನ್ನ ವಿದುಸುರಸುರಗಣ ದೇವಾಯ ತಸ್ಮೈ ನಮಃ In the last several verses, then it is said, Lord Krishna addressed what we may call the situational problem of Arjuna as to whether Arjuna had a problem whether to fight this battle or not. And Lord Krishna showed in several verses as to how he should, because it's not fighting the battle, this is his duty. He is a Kshatriya warrior whose nature it is to protect and therefore they have that fighting nature also particularly when a situation calls for it they are always ready to protect the dharma or the righteousness and that being the case it is in keeping with the nature the task that is before him also is something that is in keeping with the nature of arjuna and it is proper thing for him to do because the situation demands it and it is battle which is in keeping with the dharma as far as the pandavas are concerned and therefore he should fight <coughs> he so does he will gain fame and name in this world and he will gain heavens after the death so there is going to be benefit here and hereafter and if he fails to do that there is going to be harm here as well as hereafter how he will lose his fame not only that how he will be criticized ridiculed censured here and he will also incur sin in having failed to do what he should be doing and this ultimately even be deprived of the heavens so there will be harm here and hereafter if he does not fight so this is the style of what we call the duty an action that is enjoined <coughs> there is something to be gained when you perform that action and something to be lost if you fail to perform that action both these have been pointed out by lord and thus yudde punah kriyamane karanadibhi and therefore in now in consideration to what Lord Krishna has told him when Arjuna now becomes ready to fight this battle then how he should then also <coughs> there is going to be a benefit both ways which is what the verse 37 says hatova prapsasi swargam jitvava bhokshase mahim tasmad uttishta kaundeya yuddhaya kruta nishchaya He says, Hatova, in case, Hataha, if you are killed in this battle, that can be the result. Because he had a question there, 
न चैतद विद्म कतरन्नो गरीय है यद्वा जयम यदिवानो then you will attain heavens. As I said yesterday, the belief here is that when a warrior fights in the battlefield, while dies in the battlefield while fighting, then straight away he goes to heavens. This is the idea there. <coughs> and Jitwava, in case you become victorious, suppose you win this battle. Karanadin Shuran Jitwa. Suppose you conquer all these enemies and this, the great warriors on the enemy side and thus win this battle, Bhokshase Mahim. In that case, you will be able to win the kingdom and Mahim Bhokshase. You will be able to enjoy this kingdom. So if you lose this battle, meaning definitely he will be killed. There is no question of his running away from battlefield or he being spared. If, if Pandavas lose the battle, he will be the first one, definitely. So, if you are killed fighting this battle, fine, you will go to heavens. And if you win over all these people, then you will gain the kingdom and you will be able to enjoy the kingdom. So, both ways. In, in, in case of winning, you will have the enjoyment in this world. In case of losing, you will have enjoyment hereafter. <coughs> the idea is that either way, both ways there is labha, both ways there is a gain as far as Arjuna is concerned, Ubhayatha, whether he wins or loses. And therefore, there is no question. As far as Labha is concerned, if you are looking towards a benefit, which Arjuna has not been looking actually. So this is not much of a question for Arjuna whether I will win this battle or not. He didn't have that much doubt about his winning because Lord Krishna was on his side. And therefore, he was not also looking for the benefit to be derived from this battle because he had already declared earlier, Nakankshe Vijayam Krishna Nacharajyam Sukhanicha. Oh Lord, I don't want uh, victory or kingdom or the pleasures. I don't want. Kinno Rajyena Govinda Kim Bhogehi Jeevitenava. What is there in kingdom? What is there in pleasures? And what is there even in continuing with this life? <laughs> Thus he had already expressed his total lack of interest as far as the result of this battle is concerned. <clears throat> but in any case, in case someone wants to consider fighting or not fighting from the standpoint of the result of the battle, then also Lord Krishna says, either way there is only going to be a gain as far as you are concerned. Tasmat uttishta kaundeya yuddhaya kruta Tasmat therefore, in as much as either way there is only a benefit, therefore uttishta kaundeya, hey kaundeya, kaundeya is son of Kunti. So the name of the mother of Pandavas was Kunti. So all of them are Kaunteya, but Arjuna here addresses Kaunteya, the son of Kunti. <coughs> Meaning you come from that race, of you enjoy that purity of the race and the nobility also. And therefore it's not proper for you to withdraw from the battlefield because you, you come from that noble family. And therefore you have that dignity, you have to maintain a dignity of your family and therefore also Kaunteya. It's not proper that you should withdraw from this battlefield. Uttishta <coughs> arise. Hey Arjuna, may you arise. And how? Yuddhaya krutanischaya hasan. 
being determined as far as the battle is concerned. Krutanishaya, may you become one who has made a firm resolve, Yuddhaya, for fighting this battle. <coughs> so, having made a firm resolve, may you arise and then fight this battle. Because no use of fighting battle half-heartedly. If Arjuna is not really resolved that he wants to fight this battle, and suppose he is forced to fight, then there is no point. Nobody wants to force him to do something. Here, this is teaching. And in any case, there is no point in simply forcing someone or even giving instruction. That's the reason why Lord Krishna is giving here reasons or arguments. <coughs> Pros and cons is being, they are all being described. And then says Tasmat, therefore may you arise. <coughs> On account of all the reasons that you have stated so far, therefore, you arise, yuddhaya krutanischaya. Having made a firm resolve for this battle, may you arise and then do what you have to do. What is the, what is the resolve? Shankarajara says, jeshyami shatrun marishyami vayati nishyam krutva. I'll conquer the enemies or I'll give up my life, either way. So either I will conquer the enemies or I am prepared to give up my life. In which case there is nothing to worry about. <coughs> if a person is ready to fight also and not ready to die, then also he cannot have firm resolve for fighting the battle. <coughs> so when one is fighting the battle, definitely wants to be prepared for the ultimate, namely the death. And therefore, if you are going to die, well fine, then you gain heavens and then also there is nothing to worry about. And therefore, I will conquer the battle or I will give up my life. Thus, firmly resolve, may you arise for fighting this battle. <coughs> Alright, then Lord Krishna says, most important thing is being said here. Tatra yuddham svadharmahaiti evam yuddhimanasya upadesham evam shrinum. Then, now after this discourse on the part of Lord Krishna, <coughs> If Arjuna now is determined to fight this battle because Yuddham Swadharmahaiti. With what spirit Arjuna would fight the battle? Yuddham Swadharmaha. That fighting this battle is my dharma, is my duty in that sense. So when if an action is performed with the spirit of duty, then the result or the reward is of no consideration. That, act, that alone is called the spirit of duty when the reward is not the criterion. Reward will come when you perform an action. But it is not reward which is the motivating factor here, but it is duty that I must do. Idam maya kartavyam, this is what I should do. This is what I must do or I should do. <coughs> Why do I say that? Because I feel that it is only proper for me to act in this manner in a given situation. So whatever idea I have about my own dignity or about my own self-respect and depending on how I evaluate a given situation, there is certain response to be provided to a given situation <coughs> and it is a response as a result of what I think is my duty and not because this what reward this action is going to bring to me. So this is a very important concept of dharma or duty here. This is a very important concept which is very elaborated, much much elaborated in the Indian scriptures, in the Vedas in particular, in the Smritis also, that this is the duty, as you say, this will be further elaborated, that everyone has a duty. <coughs> uh, why is there a duty? Because we have certain obligations. 
We have obligations from the world, we have obligations from the society, we have obligations, as you say, from the parents and ancestors, we have obligations from the sages and the teachers, we have obligations from the gods. <coughs> so various obligations we have, as it said in the Vedas, that even if the person is born, is born with threefold obligations. One is the obligation of the parents and the ancestors who have given me this body and who have nurtured it, nourished it, raised it, and therefore an obligation to them. Other is obligation to the teachers, the sages, the saints, who have dedicated their life to the pursuit of knowledge and have made all this knowledge available to us. So all this storehouse of knowledge is available to us only because of all the efforts that they have made and therefore there is an obligation to them. And third is obligation to God, who manifests himself in the form of this creation. Who alone manifests the sun and the moon and the air and the space, water, fire, earth, all these elements and all these natural forces and constantly maintains a harmony or rhythm in this universe and thus serves me. If the sun would not shine, it would not be possible for me to see. If the de- deity of the space is not there, I cannot hear. The deity of fire is not there, I cannot speak. And thus, all these deities, uh, the favor of these deities, I am constantly enjoying. And then alone, these various functions are performed in my body. <coughs> so, a person's attention is drawn to the universe. And it is pointed out here that human being is not an isolated entity, but he is part and parcel of the whole universe. He is a chain, he is a link in the whole universal chain and therefore there is a constant interaction between the individual and the total of the universe around him. And one should become aware of this. And that's how one will recognize one's place in the scheme of things. Everyone has a place. And depending upon that place, one has to respond to a given situation. So the response is by way of sense of, there is a sense of gratitude that already I am obliged, I have been, I have been gaining all these benefits and favors from all these various forces, from all these various entities and therefore it is only proper for me that I should respond by, by, with a sense of gratitude, not in the sense that I am obliging someone by doing this, but I feel obliged that I have an opportunity to do a given thing. This is the spirit of dharma or duty. <coughs> so, what Lord Krishna wants Arjuna to understand is yuddham swadharma hedi. That this yuddha or the battle is my dharma, is my duty, meaning an obligatory duty. My response to what all I have, that I have been, I have been raised and I have been given all this knowledge, I have been given all the skills and everything else and thus the society has served me. For what purpose? He is a great archer, a very strong person, all right, for what? So that he would serve the society in turn when the occasion demands that. And here is an occasion. And therefore, Arjuna should understand, this is Swadharmaha, it is my dharma or my duty to do, to perform this task. If only this understanding arises in Arjuna's mind, then alone his, his doing this job would be proper. If he does it by any other motivation, because he's going to gain victory or he's going to revenge some uh, wrongs that has been done in the past and things of that sort, <coughs> then to that extent the quality of action will be contaminated. If the action is motivated by a, 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 an intention other than what we call the duty, and this we will discuss subsequently when the topic of Karma Yoga comes, then the quality of action is definitely going to be contaminated. So, yuddham 
स्वधर्मी एवं युद्धमान से उपदेश सो यू अर्जुन इफ यू अंडरस्टूड और इफ यू डिसाइड दिस इज योर ड्यूटी एंड देर फॉर इफ यू डिसाइड ऑल्सो टू फाइट दिस बैटल देन हाउ शुड यू फाइट दिस बैटल मे यू हियर दिस सो परफॉर्मेंस ऑफ ड्यूटी involves what spirit is what is beautiful said in verse 38 a very famous verse and a very beautiful verse sukha dukhe samekritva labha labhau jaya jayau tato yuddhaya yujyasva naivam papam vapsase because whenever you perform an action there is always this fear in the mind of a god fearing person that i may incur a sin i may do something that is not proper i may incur a sin and would it not be that by in by my hands all these people will be killed and would i not be incurring a sin <laughs> therefore lord krishna says when would you not incur sin with what attitude or with what spirit when you perform an action that you will not incur the sin that spirit is being stated here sukha dukhe samekrutva labha labhau samekrutva jaya jayau samekrutva लुकिंग अपॉन दैम इज इक्वल वॉट सुख एंड दुख प्लेजर एंड पेन लुकिंग अपॉन दैम इज इक्वल वोट मीन लुकिंग अपॉन दैम इज इक्वल राग द्वेश अकृत्वा विदाउट हैविंग राग और द्वेश फॉर सुख एंड दुख यूजली फॉर सुख और प्लेजर दट इज गुड राग और अटैचमेंट and for dukha or pain there is going to be an aversion this is a natural thing there is a natural attraction for happiness or pleasure and a natural aversion or a repulsion for unhappiness or pain for honor a natural attraction for dishonor a natural aversion for comfort a natural attraction for discomfort an aversion for pleasure attraction for pain aversion so usually our response to the situation is our mind naturally is attracted towards pleasure and it is naturally repelled from pain <clears throat> if this is so then you cannot perform your duty meaning then if you perform an action naturally the mind will tend to take that course in performance of an action which will assure it the sukha or happiness and automatically one will tend to avoid that course of action which will bring about pain naturally if i have aversion for pain and attraction for pleasure naturally when i am performing action the action will be influenced by this likes and dislikes in me naturally the action will be influenced by a desire in me to be happy and a desire to avoid unhappiness so if acquiring happiness and avoiding unhappiness which is a natural thing in all living beings if that becomes the motivating force behind performance of an action then the result becomes more important than action itself what result would i naturally seek sukham or happiness and what result would i want to avoid dukham or unhappiness or pain and thus if pleasure is what you are seeking as a result of performance of an action or avoidance of pain is what you are seeking then you will not be able to perform action objectively the naturally your action is going to be influenced by this desire on your part this likes and dislikes on your part so it says shankara jare ragadvesha akrutva 
We will not have raga or an attachment for sukha or pleasure. And we will not have dvesha or aversion for dukkha or pain. Without so remaining free from an attachment or attraction for pleasure and an aversion for pain. Meaning we will not make any specific effort to avoid pain or we will not make a specific effort to invite pleasure. We will make a specific effort to do what you have to do. And let pleasure and pain be the result that will be determined by the action itself. <coughs> Meaning, we will not manipulate your action so as to bring about pleasure and avoid pain. That is what we would always do. We would manipulate the action in such a manner that it becomes fav- the result becomes favorable to us because we are attached to the favorable result. <coughs> says, no, pay attention to the action and not to the result. And therefore, you remain indifferent as far as the result is concerned. Meaning, that be ready to accept as the result comes without the reaction of raga and dvesha or attachment and aversion. If the happiness comes, well, accept it as prasada. If pain or unhappiness comes, accept that also as prasada without any sense of revulsion or rejection. <coughs> Not simple, but this is what is advised to Arjuna here. Sukha dukhe same krutva. We look upon pleasure and pain as equal. Equal meaning that we do not have raga or dvesha. We do not react to pain with aversion and we do not react to pleasure with elation. That's all. Remaining free from the, the reactions of attachment and aversion or elation and repulsion. <coughs> When would you have sukha? When there is labha or gain, rajya labha. When you gain the kingdom, definitely there will be sukha. When is the dukkha, pain, rajya alabha. So sukha and dukkha or pleasure and pain will result from labha and alabha. So gaining the kingdom or losing the kingdom, that is what, if gaining the kingdom, there will be sukha, happiness. Losing the kingdom, unhappiness. And therefore, if you want to remain indifferent to the result, namely Sukha and Dukkha, you would also have to remain indifferent to the cause of Sukha Dukkha, namely Rajya Labha and Rajya Alabha. Meaning, towards attainment of kingdom or losing the kingdom. Whether you gain the kingdom or lose, you will have to remain indifferent to that. Meaning, Dharma or the duty is important and not whether you gain the kingdom or not. <coughs> when can you gain kingdom? Jaya, when there is victory. When would you lose kingdom? Ajaya, meaning defeat. And therefore, if you want to remain indifferent towards gaining or losing kingdom, then you will remain also indifferent towards victory and defeat. So you fight not to win. You play not to win. Here today, these days, we play to win. You play to kill. If they play the boxing match, to kill. You know, if you play football, you know, to win. In that case, victory becomes more important than actual play. People enjoy not the play so much as they enjoy the victory. And therefore, when the loss comes, it is going to bring a tremendous amount of depression and sadness. So there cannot be enjoyment of sport itself. The sport gets converted into a battle, actually. Regardless of that, so jaya and ajaya, victory and loss. So Arjuna, you will have to remain indifferent towards victory or defeat.
And therefore, towards the effect of victory and defeat, namely, the gaining of the kingdom or loss of kingdom. And therefore, towards the result of them, namely, the pleasure and pain. So, bear in mind that this is the spirit in which you should perform the action. Meaning, that you have to remain, in indifference we mean, a freedom from raga and dvesha. Indifference does not mean insensitivity. Indifference here means a freedom from likes and dislikes, or freedom from attachment and aversion. <coughs> so, bringing about, or with this attitude, with this frame of mind, tataha yuddhaya yudhyasva, then, doing this, tataha, thereafter, yuddhaya yudhyasva, ghatasva, then may you engage yourself in the battle, not before that. So, Lord Krishna is asking Arjuna not so much to fight, but what is he asking him? Sukha dukhe samay krutva. Hey Arjuna, may you look upon sukha and dukkha, pleasure and pain as equal. The gain and loss as equal. Victory and defeat as equal. And then fight. <coughs> In that case, your attention will be on dharma, on righteousness. Otherwise, you will sacrifice the righteousness for the sake of victory. And that should not be done. Tato yuddha yudhyasva. If you fight the battle or perform any action, as we say, fighting the battle is just an illustration. It happens to be the case in case of Arjuna. That is not the subject matter. Yuddha the battle is not the subject matter of Gita. But duty is the subject matter of Gita. And therefore, to any person, whatever happens to be the duty at a given point in time, <coughs> naivam papam avapsasi evam when if you fight in this manner meaning when you perform the duty with this frame of mind where the attention is paid to the performance of the action properly and the motivating factor is not the favorable result when you perform an action this way papam avapsasi then you will not incur sin meaning you will not incur any harm or you will not break, gain any negative result from this action <coughs> yes, if you fight the battle for the sake of victory, you fight the battle for the sake of some gain, then definitely it would involve sin, because then you are killing these people for the sake of victory, for the sake of a personal gain or a personal reward. But if you have to do what you have to do, because the situation calls for it, because you are in the side of dharma, the righteousness, that you have to protect dharma or the righteousness, and then you do, that's a different thing. Then the attention is focused upon dharma and not upon the gain. So while performing the action, where is the attention focused upon? Dharma or the righteousness. And not upon what the gain or loss is going to be. This is what Lord Krishna says to Arjuna. Iti esha upadesha prasangika hai. The idea is, this is prasangika upadesha hai. This particular upadesha or instruction on the part of Lord Krishna is prasangika hai, is only incidental, because this particular situational problem of Arjuna also needed a certain response from Lord Krishna. As you said, not only did Arjuna have the universal problem of ignorance, but also on account of that, there was a situational problem of delusion in a given situation, and therefore, this incidental advice also, or instruction also is given by Lord Krishna, that may you perform an action with this attitude. 
ಶ್ಲೋಕಮೋಹ ಅಪನಯನಾಯ ಲೌಕಿಕೋ ನ್ಯಾಯ ಸ್ವಧರ್ಮಿಚಾವೇಕ್ಷ್ಯಾದ್ಯಹಿ ಶ್ಲೋಕ ಹಿ ಉಕ್ತ ನಾತ್ಪರ್ಯಣ ಸೊ ಬಿಗಿನಿಂಗ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ಒನ್ ಟು ದರ್ಸ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ಏಟ್ ಇನ್ ಆಲ್ ದೀಸ್ ಏಟ್ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಪ್ರೈಮರಿಲಿ ಅಡ್ರೆಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ವಿ ಮೇ ಕಾಲ್ ದ ಟಾಪಿಕಲ್ ಆರ್ ಸಿಚುವೇಶನಲ್ ಪ್ರಾಬ್ಲಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಅರ್ಜುನ ಸೊ ದೀಸ್ ಏಟ್ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಸ್ಪೆಸಿಫಿಕಲಿ ಅಪ್ಲೈ ಟು ಅರ್ಜುನ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ನಾಟ್ ಟು ಎವ್ರಿ ಹ್ಯೂಮನ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ the spirit of the eight verses were applied to every human being but the actual instruction given in these eight verses apply to arjuna in this particular situation laukiko nyaya laukiko nyaya means vyavaharika the situational uh, the nyaya the niyama or the rule is given by lord krishna nadu tatparyena but there is not tatparya or purport of bhagavad gita so what is the purport of bhagavad gita very many people believe that this is the purport of gita as when swami said bhagavad gita is nothing but a pep talk to arjuna to make him fight the battle and so people who don't take time to study this may think that this is the purport of bhagavad gita this is not the purport this is merely incidental and what is the purport paramartha darshanam tu ih prakritam bhagavad gita concerns itself with paramartha darshanam with the knowledge of reality because if you keep on giving instruction to a person as to what how to behave in a given situation in different situations there is not going to solve that is only symptomatic treatment so these uh, advice is given in last eight verses for symptoms that arjuna showed in this particular situation but symptomatic problem treatment is not going to solve the problem forever bhagavad gita wants to provide what we call the fundamental solution to the human problem which is universally applicable to everyone in all times and all places and that is the subject matter of gita and therefore we are studying if bhagavad gita merely were a pep talk and meant only for arjuna the individual we would not be interested in that so paramartha darshanam tu ih prakrutam the subject matter here or the purport of bhagavad gita is paramartha darshanam that is the knowledge of paramartha knowledge of the truth of the reality <coughs> tatcha uktam and that lord krishna has described in 20 verses beginning from verse 11 to the verse 30 ashochan anvashochastum beginning from there and there natvevaham jatunasam natvam neme janadipaha arjuna it is not that i never was i ever was and then describing this the the atma the self which is eternal or changeless so from that point on up to the 30th verse was describe what we call the paramartha darshanam uktam which has been stated along with various reasoning najayate mriyate va kadachit and thus with reasoning the nature of atma has been described that it is changeless and therefore akarta abhokta neither doer nor enjoyer and therefore the one who has this knowledge kasam saprusha partha kam ghatayati handikam the one who has this knowledge how can he kill anybody or how can he make anyone kill meaning he knows that i the self is not the killer or not the doer of an action <coughs> all of that has been stated meaning the atma anatma viveka or discrimination between the self and the non self has been given in those 20 verses tachyoktam upasamharati and that upadesha or instruction upasamharati lord krishna concludes in these in the next verse eshade abhitayadi shastra vishaya bhaga pradarshanaya the next verse according to shankaracharya is a very important verse 
Because it tells us here, the Shastra, this particular scripture, namely Bhagavad Gita, basically describes twofold dharma or the twofold lifestyles, twofold commitment. And this is how we started the interaction. That is a nivritti lakshano dharma, pravritti lakshano dharmascha. One dharma, all the commitment is nivritti of the nature of renunciation, where one is totally committed to the pursuit of knowledge. And the other is the pursuit of action in order to gain the purification of the mind, which is called the yoga. So Sankhya and Yoga, these are the two commitments that are being taught in Bhagavad Gita. And this also we must, there must be clarity when we study Bhagavad Gita as to which verse applies to what. How to understand a given verse requires in what context that particular verse has been stated. And therefore, Lord Krishna himself clarifies in, in some cases. And so in some cases it is left up to us to understand what is the context of the verse and how to understand that verse. So the next verse, Shastra Vishaya Vibhaga Pradarshanaya. That is scripture, the Vishaya, the subject matter of scripture, it consists of this twofold commitment. And Lord Krishna himself wants to clarify that there are there is this twofold commitment. And that is clarified in the next verse. Ihahidarshide Punaha Shastra Vishaya Vibhaga Uparishtat. Jnana yogena sankhyanam, karma yogena yogena vidhinishthadva visham shastram, sukham pravartishyare, shrotarascha vishaya bhagena sukham grahishyandidi. Then in the third chapter also, this very same thing is stated. Lokesmin dvidhanishtha pura prokta mayanagha, jnana yogena sankhyanam, karma yogena yoginam. In the third chapter, it is very clearly stated. That for those who are sankhyas, meaning those who are sannyasis or renunciates, for them there is this path of knowledge. And those who are active people, for them the path of yoga. So yoga and sankhya, these are the two paths, the pursuit of action and the pursuit of knowledge. These two paths are very clearly delineated in Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> and that specific, I mean that division or that clarity that these are the two subject matters discussed in Bhagavad Gita is going to be clearly stated there in the third chapter. But even in the second chapter also it is being stated so that one is prepared and one understands the style of the teaching of Bhagavad Gita and therefore when that division comes between the two twofold commitment then one is, is able to understand that yes this is kept in mind and so it will be easier and clearer and that's how easy to understand the teaching of Bhagavad Gita. And therefore, right here in this verse 39, Lord Krishna, number one, says how he concludes the teaching of the self and also says how there is this twofold subject matter that is being discussed in Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> he says in verse 39, Eshate bhita sankhe buddhi yoga etvimam shrunu buddhya yukto jaya parsa Karamandham Prahasyasi Eshate Sankhe Buddhihi Abhita They means to you Abhita Ukta So far in the verses 20, 11 to 30 Sankhe Sankhe means Paramartha Vastu Viveka Vishaye Buddhihi 
Ukta, Abhita. So we have told you so far, Arjuna, because Arjuna should know what he has been told. And he should also be told what he should expect next. Because when we change the topic, and sometimes we don't clarify to the listener, then listener may think that the same topic is going on. Sometimes when the people speak, then they keep on shifting, you know, gears. But they keep on shifting the subject matters without warning the listeners. Sometimes they may have changed the topic, he may be talking on a different topic, and a listener may feel that the speaker is going on on the same subject matter, and therefore it may create a lot of confusion in the mind of a listener. So it is necessary that whenever we change the subject matter, then we should alert the listener that now look, what you have been listening so far is this, and now what you are going to listen now is this. So that this division is clearly understood by the listener and therefore he can pay his attention properly. <coughs> so Sankhya, what Lord Krishna talked in those twenty verses is called Sankhya. Sankhya means Atma or the Self. Sankhya is a word derived from the word Sankhya. Samyak khyayate anayayati Sankhya. Sankhya means Upanishad. So that by which the truth of the Self is very well expounded is called Sankhya or Upanishad. And what is Sankhya? So that which is propounded or expounded by Upanishad is called Sankhyam. So truth, namely Atma or the Self, is that which is the subject matter of Upanishad. Aupanishadaha Purushaha. The Purusha of the Atma or the Being that is revealed by, by Upanishad is called Sankhya. So here the word Sankhya means Atma or the Self. It is necessary to clarify this because the word Sankhya is quite famous otherwise. There is a whole school of thought which is called Sankhya. And some people may want to believe that Bhagavad Gita expounds the Sankhya Yoga. Sankhya talks about the Purusha and the Prakriti. It is a school of thought or a school of philosophy which is of the nature of the dualistic school of philosophy. Talks of two realities, Purusha and Prakriti, or spirit and matter. And according to them, the Atma, the Self is many. And therefore, it is altogether a different school of philosophy. Also known as Sankhya. Here also Lord Krishna uses the word Sankhya. So someone might feel that Lord Krishna is talking about that school of philosophy. Which is propounded by another sage called Kapila. And that is not the subject matter here. Therefore, the word Sankhya, in its popular sense, may mean a school of philosophy propounded or expounded by one sage Kapila. But in the derivative sense, the word Sankhya is explained here as Atma or the Self. So Sankhya meaning Paramartha Vastu Viveka Vishaya, with reference to what is Paramartha Vastu, what is the absolute reality, or what is the nature of Self. So with reference to the nature of the self and the discrimination between the self and non-self. With that reference, buddhi jnana mukta. We have already stated what we have said so far pertains to the nature of the self, which is the absolute reality. And this is what we have expounded in those verses. <coughs> buddhi generally means intellect. But here buddhi means jnanam or the knowledge. So the knowledge pertaining to Sankhya or knowledge pertaining to the Self, 
This is what we have expounded. What was the purpose of expounding that knowledge? Sakshat shoka mohadi samsarahetu doshanivritti karanam. That knowledge which is karanam of the means for nivritti, for the elimination of samsara dosha, samsarahetu dosha. So what is samsara? Shoka mohadi. Samsara means a life of suffering. Shoka and mohadi. We have the nature of grief and delusion, which delusion brings about the sense of doership, enjoyership, likes, dislikes, conflicts. This is what we call samsara or suffering. One is constantly suffering under the fire of these conflicts created by likes and dislikes and all the fears and doership, enjoyership. And all of this is called samsara. And all these various notions are born of what? They are born of ignorance, which is samsara dosha, samsara hetu. So this ignorance, when eliminated, then alone this samsara or this suffering generated from the likes and dislikes or the grief and delusion will go. And how will that ignorance be eliminated? By the knowledge. So here, Arjuna, we have now expounded to you the knowledge, which is a direct means for elimination of ignorance. And therefore, all the products of ignorance, namely the sense of ego and the sense of possession and therefore the likes and dislikes and all the host of all these suffering which is there in life, all that suffering will be, can be eliminated by which knowledge? That knowledge we have expounded to you. That is the knowledge pertaining to the ultimate reality, knowledge of the self. <coughs> so Arjuna knows, okay, this is what he has listened so far. But then the teaching continues. So then Arjuna would wonder, what next is going to come? Imam Shrunu. Tu, however, now, that, that particle Tu is to show the Vishishtada or what is now going to follow is something different. Yoga Imam Buddhim Shrunu. Now, you may only In the sense of Chitta Vritti Nirodha, the words Sankhya and Yoga are have popular meanings. Yoga is another school of philosophy or another method for attainment of knowledge of Sankhya and that is called Chitta Vritti Nirodha. The stoppage of the mind or distilling of the mind, which is what we call Samadhi or absorption and the method leading to that Samadhi or absorption is called Yoga. Yoga there means the joining of the self with the universal self. Because they think that they are two different principles. Here on the other hand, the word yoga is not used in that sense. In what sense is the word yoga used? Tat prapti upaya. The yoga is the upaya or the means of gaining the knowledge. The question is, hey Arjuna, you already told you what you need to know. Already the instruction has been given on what you need to know about the self and the non-self. If after the instruction that knowledge has not taken place or you find that you are still not free from grief and delusion, that shows that you have not been able to see or understand what we have told you. That shows that some preparation is required. 
because to grasp this teaching is going to require a certain disposition of mind what we call a mind which is a pure mind so what we require is a pure mind or a pure heart not a mind that is uh, stifled with or that is under the spell of all these reactions all these prejudices all the ego all the likes and dislikes and fears and insecurities the mind that is constantly under the spell of this is not the mind that is going to be able to understand the self a fearful mind cannot understand the self that is fearless a grieving mind cannot understand the self that is the nature of happiness a mind that all the time divides itself and isolates cannot understand the self that is non dual so one requires a mind that is very well tuned and then alone the knowledge or the grasping of what is being said is going to be possible although you can repeat the words all right we can repeat things okay and we may think that this is like repeating of the parrots you know those parrots were sitting there on a big tree small young parrots an old parrot also was there and the old parrot saw a hunter coming from a distance and said he warned these little young parrots says beware of the hunter beware of the hunter don't get caught in the net beware of the hunter don't get caught in the net so the parrots started repeating beware of the hunter don't get caught in the net you know they started repeating they kept on repeating the hunter came he spread his net all these parrots little ones were all of them you know uh, all of them got got caught in that net and all of them were squeaking and squirming even as they were caught in the net and still repeating beware of the hunter don't get caught in the net beware of the hunter you know and so this is called the parrot knowledge and thus we do repeat all these words and but that does not mean that we necessarily understand what we are talking or we may not understand what we are even listening we talk about non violence we talk about truthfulness etc but unless these values are understood by us unless they are assimilated by us unless we have this this subtlety also to interpret these values they don't become reflected in our life that's the reason why what we hear and all the learning that we have doesn't seem to really do anything to us because it doesn't get reflected in our life because it is not really proper there is no clarity about it there is no assimilation of it that shows that a certain kind of mind is required to have the clarity and if that mind is not there then it is necessary that mind must be prepared what we require is what we call emotional maturity for which all the the, the purity of the heart and for that the means is called yoga so here yoga is the means for attainment of purification of the mind what do you mean by purification of the mind that is what we call sattvic mind as we have been saying in the morning there are these three qualities sattva rajas and tamas which constitute the mind sattva is characterized by tranquility contemplativeness cheerfulness this is sattva rajas agitation conflict activity restlessness tamas dullness slothfulness sleep so as long as mind is predominantly under the spell of rajas and tamas 
So long he's going to be restless, active, agitated, sleepy, you know, and whatnot. All kinds of reactions and conflicts are there in that mind. And such a mind is not ready to receive this knowledge. Therefore, it is necessary that the mind must be sattvic. That what we call rajas and tamas. Rajas brings about activity, aggressiveness and all kinds of things, greed, passion. And tamas brings about, of course, the, the dullness, disinterestedness, you know, and that is tamas. And these are the two things that we have to recognize within ourselves and we have to slowly and slowly become free from them so that the mind becomes sattvic. The mind by nature is pure, but these impurities have been added. Like water by nature is pure, but add some dirt into that. And how the water becomes dirty? The dirt is not inherent in nature of water. That's the reason why we can filter the dirt and purify the water. Similarly also, dislikes and dislikes, and all the reactions and whatever we find in our mind, they are not inherent. They are not natural to the mind. And that's the reason why it is possible to remove them and the mind becomes pure. If they were inherent nature of mind, you cannot change them, you can't remove them. But they are not inherent. They are what we call, uh, they are something that are incidental. They are there on account of aviveka, ignorance, non-discrimination. And they have unintelligent living, wrong values, wrong perception about the life. And all of that is wrong values are brought about all these reactions, dislikes and dislikes. And all the demons, they have taken hold of this heart. We have to drive them away. And the method of purification of the mind is called yoga. In this case, karma yoga. <coughs> yoga to tatprapti upaye which is upaya or the means for attainment of the knowledge. Not directly, but yoga here is a means for attainment of purification of the mind. Shankaracharya here, in a few words, describes what this yoga is. Nisangataya dvandva prahana purvakam ishvara aradhanarthe karma yoga karma anushthane samadhi yoga cha imam Anantaram evochyamanam buddhim shrunam. So, kar- karma anushthane. Here yoga means performance of action. Performance of whatever action you have to perform, depending upon, as we said, in whatever stage and station of life you are. But perform action how? Ishvara aradhanarthe. Performing action is aradhanam as a worship of the Lord. So whatever action it be, but when that action is performed eh, in the spirit of worship or offering to the Lord. Dvandva prahana purvakam Having given up the dvandva or the pairs of opposites. What are these dvandva? Raga and dvesha. So having given up the likes and dislikes, which usually are the motivations behind the action. The idea here is that the action is motivated not by our likes and dislikes. I do not because I like to do something and I avoid because I dislike something. But I do because I think it is proper thing to do whether I like it or not. And therefore, when a situation calls for a certain response from me, I do that whether I like it or not because it is proper to do. And what I do is done in the spirit of offering to the Lord. 
Thus, every action becomes a means of worship to the Lord. So, performing the action in the spirit of worship, in the spirit of offering to the Lord, and not being motivated by this sukha dukha, pleasure and pain, laba alaba, gain and loss, jaya ajaya, victory and defeat, likes and dislikes, not being motivated by these pairs of opposites. How is it possible? Nisangataya. When one is indifferent to the reward that the action has to, action generates. Meaning, when an action is performed, not by motivation of a reward. Having no likes and dislikes towards the result of the action, and performing the action as an offering to the Lord or worship to the Lord. Karma then, this is called Karma Yoga. Performance of action with this spirit is called Karma Yoga. <coughs> Yogetu Imam Shrunu. Now listen, I am now going to describe to you right away this whole buddhi or the knowledge or instruction. I am going to give you instruction pertaining to what we call Karma Yoga, which is a means for purification of mind, which purified mind is, is, is a must for gaining this knowledge. In that sense, Karma Yoga becomes a means for Jnanam or knowledge. <coughs> In the second line of the verse, Tambuddhim stauti prarochanartham and that yoga buddhi that the uh, the attitude of yoga is being praised by Lord Himself in order to create an enthusiasm and, and a liking in the on the part of Arjuna. So it is necessary sometimes for you to enthuse the student or create in the student enthusiasm to do what you are telling them. And for that, you might show them the benefits of that. So, even though you are performing this action without the consideration for a reward, there is a reward. What is the reward? Buddhya yukto yaya partha karma bandham prahasthasi. He partha yaya buddhya yuktaha. Endowed with which buddhi? Or endowed with which attitude? This is therefore called the yoga of attitude. Even though we call it yoga of karma, in fact it is yoga of attitude. Which attitude is exhibited while performance of an action? Action becomes an occasion for us to exhibit a certain attitude. And therefore it's called karma yoga. But in this yoga, although it's called karma yoga, I mean yoga of action, it is not action which is so much important as the attitude behind the action. So it should rightfully, rightly should be called yoga of attitude or buddhi yoga. However, attitude alone is not enough. That attitude should be expressed in the form of action. And therefore it is called karma yoga or yoga of action. Buddhya yukto yaya partha he partha endowed with which yoga or endowed with which attitude? <coughs> karma bandham prahasyasi You will be able to cut asunder the karma bandha meaning the bondage of karma you will become you will be able to cut asunder or you will be able to become free from this bondage of karma or bondage generated by karma or karma itself is bondage so karma nimitto bandha karma bandha that bandha or the bondage which is created by karma that's one way of looking at it karma or action also creates a bondage in terms of creating reactions and this way, you'll remain free from the reactions generated by karma. Or, as Shankaracharya says, karma yoga bandha hai, 
karma bandha. That karma or action itself is a bondage, and you will become free from the bondage. How? Ishvara prasadanamitta jnana praptahiti abhipraya. By attainment of the knowledge, which will come to you as a result of Ishvara prasada or grace of God. So, when the action is performed as an offering to the Lord, one naturally gains, if even if any kind of a tangible result does not come, which also has to come, a, an intangible or a subtle result definitely comes. And what is that? Ishwara Prasada or the grace of God. So, this is the whole idea here. The purification of the mind is attained by the grace of God. So that's the best way of purifying our mind is to gain the grace of Lord. And how do we gain, acquire the grace of Lord? By worshipping the Lord. How do we worship the Lord? Performance of an action in the attitude of worship. Ishwara prasada namitta jnana praptahe vyabhipraya So you will, as a result of performing action with this attitude, you will acquire the grace of God, by which you will acquire the purification of mind, by which you will gain the, the uh, you will be prepared or you will gain the qualification for gaining this knowledge and then you will gain the knowledge and ultimately you will become free from all the bondage. So, two st- steps are, first step, Karma Yoga. Second step, Jnana Yoga. First step is the Yoga of Action. Second is the Yoga of Knowledge. So, these are the two main topics discussed in Bhagavad Gita. And Lord makes a specific mention that so far what was discussed was the yoga of knowledge. What is now going to be discussed is the yoga of action. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Sri Guru Namaha Hari Om